I used to love playing this song live. Maybe we'll do it again. 2017 release. Sky Goes On. Set the charge. Listen to it today on Spotify. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We are here this evening. We are here this evening to do a little boogie together. It's going to be good. I, Matt is not in tonight. He has a couple of personal things he has to attend to. But either way, we have two guests coming in that'll keep us uh, tied up. We have Marjorie Wildcraft coming on in the first half for uh, you know from 7:30 to 8, and uh, we'll be talking about a little bit of the food crisis going on, things that are being seen around the market in the uh, supply lines, and what we can be doing. What we can be doing to, to, to shore up our food supply by being a little bit more independent, no matter what kind of space you're working with. And uh, when is the red line to just get the hell out and realize you're not going to be able to live off of the wheat grass that you're, that you're, uh, you're growing in a, in, a, in a bucket in your apartment? When do you have to just get up and go? I don't know. We'll talk about all of that. And then in the second half, Nor Bin Laden calls in from behind enemy lines just a stone's throw away from Davos itself. So we'll be doing that, and uh, and that's what we have. I want to thank my sponsors tonight, Blue Monster Prep. It's a very appropriate show to be sponsored by Blue Monster Prep. Uh, so many things going on. The announcement that Trump is coming back to Twitter, that should be a chaotic day. Davos promising catastrophic cyber attacks in the next few years, which means it's probably sooner. And God knows how the FAA fiasco last week actually ties into all of that so again prepare have cash on hand get some gold from uh from uh wise wolf gold and silver also an affiliate but get some food and your water supplies and your communication and your your uh your first aid all squared away with blue monster prep call up pat and gina say pat gina i feel like i know you i feel like i know you i've heard so much about you i need help I have all types of insurance. I have flood insurance, homeowner's insurance, renter's insurance. I rent different things. I own other things. I have lava insurance. I have tornado insurance. I have everything except insurance that I could eat. You know, Geico's not going to show up with a uh, bucket of food for you if the lights go out. Pat and Gina will. But, of course, you have to do that now before everybody else starts panicking and grabbing it. So, BlueMonsterPrep.com. Promo code frankly, you get free shipping and probably so much more. I uh, that's what I want to thank you and greetings to all of you guys. Whether you're watching on QuiteFrankly.tv, that'll stretch into the night uh, with all of our weekend wrap-up programming that begins at nine o'clock. For all of you on YouTube and Rumble, please hit those like buttons. Please hit those like buttons. I cannot believe it, but we gained uh, I don't know how many hundreds of subscribers on YouTube the last couple of weeks. That, that it's it's real. We may, we just may walk through that door of 100,000, smell the air, and then just, um, who knows. But thank you guys for making a dream come true. Hello, everybody on Twitch and on DLive and on Theta and on Rockfin and beyond, and not to mention the early morning warriors who are tuned in on WHYU FM 89.1. 
So um, that's what I've got for you. That's what I got for you for tonight. And if you are a new arrival who caught me this morning doing the Daily Show with John over there on Badlands Media, then uh, welcome. Welcome to my humble abode. This is what we do at 7 o'clock, and hopefully you are a, uh, a friend now forever. That's what we got going for you. All right. All right, into the belly of it, because I have to just put it all out there. And that is the, um, I want to give some thoughts of, on this Crowder and Daily Wire thing now that we've had a few volleys back and forth. And I think we've learned everything that we need to learn about it all. It's just really just going to see how, how, how much, um, how far they're going to take it both camps in throwing pies in each other's face at this point. So I just want to give some thoughts about this since it is in my line of work. It's a it's a commentary on my industry if you're going to go that far. And I promise you that there is a, well, nothing about the situation and the personalities involved invokes an emotional response for me. In the end, Crowder will be fine. The Daily Wire will be fine. And this will just be something that we had done and talked about and debated for a little while in January of 2023. But there's plenty of room for self-inflicted wounds here when, as I said before, all assets on both sides of this have been deployed and they're trying to dunk on each other. So who knows how messy that they'll make it, but I I don't plan on talking about it for too much more after tonight unless something enormous comes of this. Uh, There's a little bit of response. I'll get to that a little bit later. Some from... uh, Jeremy at the quartering I've seen. Razor Fist put a little bit out there on Twitter. Mark Dice has had some good response. He's always consistent on things. But um, now I- I've liked a bunch of Crowder's bits over the years. But, uh, you know, we watched a few on this show, but I- I've never watched an episode of his. I've never watched an episode of Loud or Crowder. I just don't have time. And uh, I don't watch a lot of people's stuff. And he never made it into my nightly podcast rotation, even when I had a big one. I don't, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts anymore either. I used to have, I'm still subscribed to a lot. I haven't pressed play on, on many of them. Um, but in my opinion, my opinions on him are really, I mean, that's just where, where, where I am with him. And my opinions on mainstream pop conservatives like Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, they, that hasn't changed at all either. And the little bougie, bow-tie-wearing country clubs that they have built for themselves at places like the Daily Wire, that's that. But in this, in this particular situation, just looking at what's going on and the people involved, we'll get into that, and I'll just tell you what I'm thinking along the way. Uh, first, we got this Crowder video that we spoke about on the show earlier on in the week, with and he's holding up the redacted pieces of what seemed to be a contract and we had these freeze framed social media stipulations that were laden with fees and regulations and he wasn't going to say who it was but prayed that they would change their ways and then eventually about a day or so later like two days later jeremy boring of the daily wire comes out and says it was us and he spent an hour going through the entire offer it was an initial offer not a contract and it was worth 50 million dollars over four years 75 million dollars over six if you count the two-year extension that they had an option for so 75 million dollars and that's just an opening offer too who knows where it could have gone or that's just where it bottomed out or topped out i don't know so now 
I also understand how these agreements work, that it is a total production budget for the show, just not Crowder's prospective salary. He still, if he would take a uh, a salary, uh, take up a contract like that, he would still be a millionaire from this alone. And I'm sure that he's made a couple of million. I mean, he, he has he has over three times the viewership of Tim Pool, and Tim Pool generates so much money off of his show that he buys Times Square ads just for laughs. How many, how, many, how many ads does Tim Pool take out in Times Square every year just for laughs? I'm sure it's a write-off as well. But still, um, I learned about how these production budgets, these big budgets, they're like block grants, work when Howard Stern was picked up by Sirius back in 2005. You know, the, the, the big news was that he was signed for $500 million, and he's, be, he's been re-upped several times since 2005. I don't think he has ever operated on a budget less than $100 million over there. So now I, I am, um, I, when I see Jeremy Boring come out with all this stuff, with the money, I'm here in my kitchen feeling stupid for watching a bunch of millionaires fight with each other. I almost click off, but I knew that this was probably going to come up on the show, and I just pushed through just to see what the hell's going on. And through it all, Crowder had been adamant that it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the money, it was about something else. So the first point was that it was the, the whole expose of exposing what was in this offering from the Daily Wire was about showing how conservative companies commandeer their talent social media presence uh, to keep them compliant with the third party platforms whose monetization tools are largely how the talent is paid. And essentially saying that that companies like the Daily Wire are making you beholden to big tech and their vague guidelines on content in order for you to maintain a living. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that that's the case for all of us right now regardless, including Crowder if he stays independent and stays on YouTube at least. If he migrates everybody over to Rumble, he, he won't have to worry too much about that. But this is the case for all of us. If we're signed a big deal to somebody or not, we're all out here fighting for our dinner, walking a tightrope every night. If I lose any access to any portion of my audience, invariably it is going to impact me financially. That's just the reality of things. And if you say, well, if the standard is to have your signed talent to be beholden to what big, big tech platforms will allow on their on their platforms, then the standards must change. I say, okay, well, fine. How? Because I'm open to suggestions. I would like to know what some people's ideas are from time to time, but I couldn't find anything. I mean, my, my question to you would be was, what sway would a company like the Daily Wire have on YouTube's daily operations? Or, or do you believe that Daily Wire should go out there and start Daily Wire Tube? The point being is that if the internet weren't as censorious a place as it is, companies like the Daily Wire wouldn't need these specific uh, stipulations in there to be able to recoup what could be a potential loss. I saw somebody, and I, t I took this, uh, this comment down because there's a lot like it. They said, you know, plenty of people are asking things... Um, they're saying, just food for thought, this is just one random comment on YouTube I saw, 
But isn't the part of the issue that Crowder is bringing uh, it, that, that Crowder is bringing to the table is that you can be handed a strike at any time without justification, and that all of a sudden you're in a terrible spot. And I mean, I, I don't understand why people can't see the the answer that's baked into that already. What does YouTube again? What does YouTube? Handing down someone like me or Steven Crowder or anybody a strike have to do with Daily Wire or anyone else? What sway? What sway is the Daily Wire supposed to have over the corporate culture at YouTube? I don't understand how everyone continues to project YouTube's corporate culture onto the Daily Wire. YouTube actually, companies like YouTube make the partnerships between companies or entities like the daily wire and its talent more risky and if that's the case and you just sank nearly 100 million dollars into new talent would you not want some kind of way to mitigate risk i mean it's got to be mutually beneficial and everybody needs to understand the risk that would go into it when you're playing a game like we are and let's be honest here let's be honest if YouTube was a completely free speech nirvana, do you really think that the Daily Wire would allow anyone to cast, let's say, Israel in a foul light or allow any of their talent to go on talking about Bohemian Grove and the New World Order or any other high voltage topic? You see, why do I bring this up? Because that those are not very country clubby things that you would discuss, not in polite company at least, right? But that would have been a bigger story to me. That would have been a much bigger story to me had Steven Crowder been signed with Daily Wire for a couple of years already, and then he goes public saying that he's being stifled from doing any critical reporting on, say, I don't know, the so-called anti-Semitism speech laws that are popping up all over the country. Now, there's a story. That's a story to me. But we're not doing that. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about risk mitigation policies that the Daily Wire has that I actually see some logic in. But going back to the nature of the beast, here's a little bit more melodrama for you. The $100,000 fee for missing episodes. Now, that was jarring to me as well before I learned of the funding the funding uh, of $50 million for essentially four shows a week, if you look at it broken down. About 190 some odd shows a year. Breaks down to about $70,000 an episode. So when you're looking at it that way, I'm saying $100,000 fee is not actually not that bad for missing canceling a show and not making it up, especially when you're doing four shows a week. There's so many ways that you can make that up along the way over the course of 52 weeks out of the year. Hell, I would feel like I was shortchanging people if I only did four shows a week. Like this offer stipulates. Now I'm over here doing five, six days a week sometimes and all, and I do all of the writing and all of the engineering too. And also there's other, uh, other strings attached. There's other strings attached that you have to think about for everybody. So when you talk about strings attached and money put in, talking about 50, 75, $100 million deals and more out there, there are strings attached to a $5 monthly sponsor that you pick up along the way in this business. If the sponsor, if somebody comes on for $5 with me, if they perceive that the quality of work 
that I'm putting out there to be lacking in some way, or if any other number of things that change for a person in their personal life change, they're gone. It's just gone. Those are strings attached. What have you done for me lately? Now, it's not like that when you actually have a signed agreement in there, which is why both parties are beholden to each other after everybody voluntarily agrees to what's on paper. You're not being forced to sign. This is now Luca Brazzi holding the gun to your head, saying it's gonna be your signature or your brains on that contract. But, you know, in what universe would somebody invest nearly $100 million into producing your show and there not be strings? And not just strings, ropes. Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloon ropes at that. It's just the nature of the beast because this is no different than, say, the relationship between bands and the record labels back in the past. And now in the in the music industry, there was a term being tossed around that, that, that gets tossed around and a lot more in the past. It was called cross-collateralization. That's a term that if you're sitting down and you're looking at a contract, you want to watch out for that. Cross-collateralization. If the record label advances you, an artist or a band, $50,000 to go get a record done, and the record, when it is finished, doesn't sell for whatever unfortunate reason, they can recoup their losses from anywhere. Your merch sales, the uh, share of ticket sales at venues, wherever. Cross-collateralization. So why did bands sign with labels back then? Why is it where all of these relationships were very heavy on the label end, even for the big artists out there? Why did they sign with the labels? Because even though at first you may be making a meager living, you know the label is, is still going to get your record produced in stores on the shelf, and they're also going to get you out there on tour. You're at least going to get a shot. But the thing that nags me with this situation with Crowder is that um, the label, the whole concept of a record label these days is obsolete. And I know Crowder is talking about how this is about the future of the country and not about a business, but I'm not in a garage band right now. I'm not in a garage band in Seattle, Washington in 1992, where the only way up is getting signed through a, you know Daily Wire Records. None of us need to get signed anymore. Getting signed by TPUSA or The Daily Wire is not the only way for talented people to have good work get recognized. It's not even the best way. It's a way. In, in fact, the likelihood of you working for The Daily Wire as a political commentator is probably just as likely as you making it to the major leagues and playing baseball on a professional level. But thankfully, unlike professional baseball, we have a thriving independent league. And that is what you're watching right now. So I, I don't know how Steven Crowder exposing how big pop conservative record labels recuperate their investments is going to help someone like me, like he says it's going to, like he's fighting for someone like me and my ability to climb up the ladder. It makes a, the whole scene, the whole thing seem very melodramatic way for him to get one of his own projects some attention. Because you're not helping someone like me. You know what he could do? Crowder could assign a small team of, of interns to create a Crowder's Top 100 News and Culture podcast list. Almost like a book club that excludes the likes of people like Tim Pool and Sticks Hexenhammer and shines light, no strings attached light on the little guys. 
the little guys who would have been victimized by the Daily Wire. You know, hell, that's what I said that Trump should have been doing for the entire four years that he was in office. He should have been anointing new media by going on as many small shows as possible to take individuals and put them out into the limelight, bring the, bring the crowds to them and walking away to make people like Chris Ann Hall household names, people who are completely unaffiliated with any kind of network. That would have been great. Oh, and also, um, if he didn't get any permission, I'll just say this because the last video that Crowder put out there, I think it was last night, he played a couple of sound bites from a recorded phone call with Jeremy Boring. I don't I didn't I didn't see any follow-up to this but if he did not get any permission from Jeremy boring to record that call and uh, let alone publish some sound bites from it then that is some fucking Michael Cohen shit that's some Michael Cohen shit right there seriously now as for the bow tie wearing country clubbers at the Daily Wire their future is really just going to be beholden to the responses from here in um that's that's really going to be the only thing that dictates how much flack they take before this ultimately becomes a distant memory and i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is become a monthly sponsor of the, of the quite frankly just so that i never get tempted to sell my soul to ben shapiro that's what i'm really trying to say right now all right let's get this show on the road i will be right back share it far and wide i put all the live links out there and um and let's get ready for a ride. Do you want to overrun us and poison us and take our families and kill us? You will die, not us! You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Quite Frankly. The pre-show is over. Now it's time to get on the road. And just to reiterate, just to reiterate, I um, generally, from from what little I know about Stephen Crowder's work, I like him as an individual and, and, the, and the work that he's done. I think that his debates, the Change My Mind series has been great. You know, as an individual, I like him. And I don't have anything bad to say. I don't know him. And 
I'm mum on on the Daily Wire as a group. There's some people there I, I like a lot, like Andrew Clavin, for example. I love Andrew Clavin's work since before he was ever at the Daily Wire when he was making all those awesome videos with people like Bill Whittle. Uh, that was great. And then, and then Michael Knowles was a product of the Daily Wire for the most part. Those two I, I like the most out of everything. Um, but uh, every organization grows and they bring new people in. And so there's no allegiances over here. I, I just think that this whole situation is very messy and melodramatic. And, and you don't have to be a fan of one side or the other to just see that this is, I don't, I don't know. There has to be a, a ulterior motives. There has to be other, other things, other benefits for this. Because someone like me is, um, is not helped by it. Okay, let's see, let's see. Hey, you know whose birthday it is today? It's Abe. Quite frankly, executive producer, Abe. He's out there enjoying his boyth day today and he's having a good time. Hopefully he's having a good time. He might be having a terrible day. If that's the case, I hope it turns around quickly for him. But happy birthday, Abe. If you see him somewhere, say hey, man. Happy birthday. Okay. And then from... Then what else do I have? Oh, I have a couple of things here we can go to until we have Marjorie Wildcraft on the show with us. That'll be nice. That would be nice. The first one up is this. Oh, blank screen. My bad. Hold on. There you go. First one up. Putin ally warns nato of nuclear war if russia is defeated in ukraine just we all have to be very ready for this this was always the end result it was always about how to make it seem like this was just anything other than russia being pushed to horrible horrible lengths and again that is not about taking sides and being russophiles and anything like that, because if, if the world gets into a thermonuclear war, I have a hard time finding that staying contained, and it threatens us all. So there's there's no rooting for one way or another for for one person to, to win in this kind of a conflict. It's just what we have seen done, been done, slowly for almost a year now. It'll be a year in February. Moscow, an ally of President Vladimir Putin, warned NATO on Thursday that a defeat of Russia and Ukraine could trigger a nuclear war, while the head of the Russian Orthodox Church said that the world would end if the West tried to destroy Russia. Such apocalyptic rhetoric is intended to deter the U.S.-led NATO military alliance. No, that's, nothing's going to deter those psychopaths from getting even more involved in the war. And more involved, it's their war. It's their war. The U.S.-led NATO military alliance from getting even more involved in the war. On the eve of a meeting of Ukraine's allies to discuss sending Kiev more weapons. But the explicit recognition that Russia might lose on the battlefield marked the rare moment of public doubt from a prominent member of Putin's inner circle. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that that's the case. I do not. Uh, Putin has been fighting this entire thing with an arm tied behind his back, hopping on one foot. This has been about containment and not, and not having this go where they're taking it. But, um, but yeah, 
Here's another weird one. Since it's Friday, I like to put a little of this in here. Beyond belief, creepy AI chatbot claims to connect people with the dead, including Jeffrey Epstein and Joseph Stalin. What do you know about that? A new AI-powered chatbot has been letting users have simulated conversations with dead public figures. Some of the uh, famous names in the, the app, dubbed Historical Figures Chat, lets users engage in a simulated chat with, includes Jesus, Joseph Stalin, and even Jeffrey Epstein. You think about, what a combination, huh? Who's this between? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln asking them, yeah, here's somebody asking Abraham Lincoln, hey, uh, how do you guys uh, feel about today's politics? And Lincoln said, it's a sad state of affairs. We are seeing too much division. This is the guy who destroyed the union, mind you, and not enough collaboration. Our nation uh, needs to come together by force, of course, and work toward a common goal if we want to see things progress. And he was a very progressive guy, had a... uh, had, had, I think he had a lot of correspondence, at least some correspondence with Karl Marx himself. Historical Figures was developed by a 25-year-old developer named Siddhant Chada. Chada, who currently works as a software engineer at Amazon, released the app in early January. No surprise there. Since then, it has been downloaded more than 6,000 times, Vice has reported. It also currently ranked 58 in education on Apple Store. Oh, that's like my uh, my ranks, my podcast rank in like Haiti. I have broken the top 100 for like culture and entertainment in certain Apple categories in some obscure countries. I, I'm I am a top 100 podcast, just in very obscure countries, I, and it, which has to be Click Farms, has to be. So I'm I'm moving up in the world. Just wanted to let you know, hold on to your butts. You know, I'm not going to be big enough to hold in your pocket anymore. Now, this is another one I thought was uh, was kind of kind of interesting, given the fact that we have been told and we're constantly being shown that we're in a number of biological states of decline. And now we're. this is the first time I ever heard this. Maybe you've heard it before. I haven't. Male menopause. This is from the Daily Mail. The silent epidemic that leaves millions of men suffering from erectile dysfunction, depression, and rapid fat gain. Male menopause is a wide range of health effects caused by low testosterone. Low T is common. Around 40% of men over 45 years old are low on the hormone. Effects of male menopause include depression, erectile dysfunction, and hair loss. Most of us are familiar with menopause and the misery it caused for so many women. The successful, our successful recent awareness campaign by celebrities and doctors highlighted the change that more than a million U.S. women experience a year around age 50 when their estrogen levels plummet and their reproductive years end. Now doctors want to draw attention to a silent epidemic that affects men with extremely low testosterone levels, the male menopause. Now, this is part of a, a new trend that has been emerging 
statistically in the last two decades at least it's becoming a little bit more prominent and picked up on and you can attribute this to so many different things so many things we live in such a tampered with environment almost everything that we put on our plates if not properly vetted and and, and investigated as far as where it was grown and under what what conditions and how you're preparing it and all the ingredients we are it, it just so there's no there's no fooling and there's no i guess maybe one day we can gauge just how many things are working against us men and women combined like with women, the term is used to describe the period in an adult man's life where his hormone levels crash, causing a host of symptoms that shatter sufferers' confidence and are outright debilitating, including erectile dysfunction, depression, anxiety, and rapid fat gain. And here's a picture. I guess this guy, he looks very disgruntled, so he must be going through male menopause. Look at he, he look at that face. He looks very upset, and and they are pointing to different parts of his bodies, uh, of his body. So there's the first, that first arrow is pointing to his head, which as you can see, it is receding, or the hairline is receding, so he's losing his hair. The second arrow points to his stomach, or I guess his arms, rapid muscle loss. So this guy, you can see he's very upset because he has lost muscle and he's losing his hair. And the last one is pointing right to his crotch. His dick doesn't work. I give him a lot of credit for being used for this diagram. Look at me. Look at me. This is me. Look at that face. I think that this is cruel. This is a very cruel, cruel image to use out there. Man boobs. Depression and anxiety. Injury prone. Oh, boy feel bad for this guy, but at least he puts on his suit and tie every day, goes to work. He has a little bit of integrity. Now, some would say that the planet itself is going through menopause right now, and we'll be able to talk to Marjorie Wildcraft about that because she has some kind of information and always has on how we can take a look at all of the problems, the man-made problems that are going on in the world, obviously, what is happening for this poor man over here on the Daily Mail, that is a man-made problem too. I believe that our environment has been made incredibly toxic for people like this poor man with the hair loss and the rapid muscle loss and the erectile dysfunction. But there are other man-made problems that we are, that we are, uh, are working through right now, and that is on a global level. What's going on with energy? The availability of it, the way that it's transported, worldwide shipping, What's going on with the weather, how it's affecting crops, and how other factors are putting the brakes on the way that we deliver food from one side of the world to the other, and how we're able to uh, keep ourselves alive. Well, Marjorie Wildcraft, she's a friend of the show. She is the founder of the Grow Network, and she has spent, and now she dedicated her life in teaching people all over the world how to become more, more independent in the way that they produce their own food. And here she is right now joining us again. First appearance in 2023. What's going on, Marjorie? Hey, Frank, how you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> doing great. Well, 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. We have got a world situation here, don't we? Oh, right. we do. Hmm. We do. So where do you want to start with this? Because of course the biggest, uh, the biggest thing we all, we always know what the most painfully obvious thing is to people when all of the memes come out a couple of months ago everybody was making all the jokes they could to get over the misery of how bad it was getting at the the gas the gas pump and now the last couple of weeks the memes has been about these hundreds and hundreds of percentage points higher cost of eggs now you see people walking around with their cloaks. They're opening up their their coats and they're showing people that they have eggs you can buy. These little eggs. eggs. Sale, yeah. What what's going on right now with the with the the whole food market around the world? Yeah. So even the official numbers are uh, two hundred and forty four percent increase in twenty twenty two. So um, you know who knows what it really is because we all know the official numbers are one thing or another. Um, they they killed millions and millions of, of chickens uh over the last year or two on because of some kind of bird flu like do we know that's real or not um you know there's a lot of crazy things going on with the food system and it does lean you toward the idea that they actually are uh trying to shut it down i mean the netherlands they flat out said you know we're just shutting down these farms we're not gonna you're not gonna be making meat or milk anymore like you used to do i mean that's why all those guys were in tractors on the on the you know driving into town at the capitol building and 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 raising hell um just so many crazy things going on and then the weather i mean that there was that freak storm i think i sent you a link on that like i think 47 degrees in one hour was this drop in um you know wyoming wyoming montana idaho all those areas grow uh, winter wheat 42 percent uh, it's a flash freeze in the u.s this is the week of christmas we all are experiencing it it's crazy because it was a it was a nationwide storm and we are a nation the size of a subcontinent over here flash freeze in u.s hit uh temperatures plunged by 42 percent in less than an hour i i definitely felt that plunge no doubt yeah so you yeah. know you, 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 okay. so the deal is is all those the wheat they had planted you know it, it ha didn't have the snow cover to protect it uh, we also have a drought growing on, so the so the, ple the, the plants are kind of weak just because of that. And then it gets hit with, you know, that kind of a, a temperature plunge. I I don't know what's going to happen to the winter wheat crop this year. That's like, you know, yeah, that there's going to be huge losses there. So you have brought up uh, Europe. You brought up Europe. There's there's a number of things that was that's been building this last year. This entire past. 12 months dipping into even early 2022 uh we started seeing the trends of these very weird food processing plants and these these grain silos uh, that are going up in flames or they're they're being destroyed in some weird way there was a lot of them um and then of course as you said uh, uh, all over the united states and around the world we're talking tens of millions of chickens, of fowl that were being slaughtered because they, guess what? They are testing positive for something with these PCR tests. They're actually using the PCR tests on the, on the birds. And then on top of that, the environmentalists that were coming out, you, you already mentioned it in Europe, that uh, I, I forgot what the ratio was of all of the different farms that would have to shutter just because of CO2 emissions that, uh, emission mandates that were being passed. You would think that in a time 
where we are so hell-bent on getting involved in another forever war in Ukraine that is already harming us more than it is the Russians and making uh, energy go through the roof and straining so many other uh, bits of supplies that are that we've become de- dependent on that we wouldn't do things like make, making all of our farmers uh, choose between CO2 and feeding people who might be going hungry. But we always just keep these, uh, we keep shooting ourselves in the foot for some reason. You know, it, it, you, the only thing you can conclude from that is that this is this is an orchestrated thing from from a very large level. I mean, really, you just can't. I can't conclude anything else. And you know, Sri Lanka just overnight says, "Okay, we're going organic," you know, and then and then just thousands and thousands of people like all of a sudden no longer eating anymore because they they don't. I, and and I agree, you know, con- conventional agriculture is horrible, but like like just shutting it off overnight, I know. like that's not a good way to do it either so um it's it's crazy there there really is you know i look at it and and i'm not some kind of you know west point graduate but but you can always tell you're in a war when when the supply chain when the supply lines get destroyed because that's what you do in wartime when the money supply gets messed up that's what you do in wartime you know uh uh you can tell we're in some kind of war it's just like Back in back when it was the Revolutionary War, the guys wore red coats, and you know who to shoot. Now you're like, <laughs> and it, it's like a like you're saying, like the the the, the processing plants, they're just nitpicking this or nitpicking that, or just taking out this little chunk or taking out that little chunk. It's it's like guerrilla warfare on a on a global scale. It, uh, it's it's crazy. I would I would add I would add one more thing to what I think is a major triumvirate of of ways to assess just how badly you are mired in a war and how it's being waged against you yeah supply lines being cut money being tinkered with communication being stifled as well that's the big thing yeah and the polarity i mean you want propaganda and propaganda to the extreme is is another huge indication i mean there's a saying about it's not worth a confederate like you know back during the civil war because they and and even in the in the revolution almost every war they try to mess with the money supply so yeah, it's we're at war, and and honestly, you know, the, I think the war is on us, yeah. <laughs> like all of us globally. I do, I, I do think so. So now, where where are you? I know that you you did a little bit of moving around, relocating. I know that you were selling some property. You were just getting yourself in order. Where are you operating out of now, primarily? I'm, I'm in Puerto Rico. Still there, okay. Uh, so I grew up in Southern Florida, and I love the tropics, and it's home to me. And I've always wanted to learn Spanish, and and, and chocolate grows on trees here. And I'm thinking, if we're going through collapse, I, I want chocolate. Like it's a priority. <laughs> hey, well, you think about this though with Puerto Rico. I, I I think about that. What what is the most strategic? Obviously, chocolate growing on trees. You you just m- mentioned some of the things why it was. Um, it's it's attractive to you but what are other other strategic reasons for getting out of the u.s mainland and going to a place like like puerto rico um which is still inextricably linked to us in our economy and in our elections and all that stuff but also right in the middle of that gulf regions caribbean where it gets pummeled by all these devastating storms which is i mean what do you what's the the, the strategy for you in being there yeah, well, let, let's go through storms. So first of all, growing up in Florida, you know, if you talk to a native Floridian and you say hurricane, we say party, right? Like when I was a kid growing up, the hurricane party meant 
you know, all the electric was going to be out. The grown-ups were going to be drinking, and there would be gigantic mud puddles to play in. And there's this horrible time when all the wind happens, and then there's all the days when everybody's cleaning stuff up. But when you're a kid, it's it's a blast, right? And so I just went through Hurricane Fiona here, and I was living up in a in a house on a ridge, and we're in, we're in, you know we're in a concrete block house, and we're fine. You know, so, uh, you know, now again, you know, when you're choosing where you want to live in the world, you need to deal with what natural disaster, every area has natural disasters, and you got to decide what you're most comfortable with. And I found out from living in Texas and Colorado, which has drought as their biggest natural disaster, that I can't handle that. That's really hard for me. I, I tried to live in uh, Hawaii for a while. And I, there's just, I'm just uncomfortable with the thought of a volcano going off like that. It's just always a subconscious, yeah. you know, um, the Midwest, you got tornadoes. Now some people are fine. They're like, okay, I got my shelter. I'll drop down in there and they're fine. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't have, you know, uh, in the North, they, they've got long, long winters, but there's lots of people that know how to survive that and they're comfortable with that. So, but for me, the tropics, I like it. Um, I, if um, is it Gerard Diamond that wrote that book called Collapse, and he talks about collapse of civilizations. He goes through like thousands of years of different empires that ro- rose and fell. And I don't know. Uh, I have not, I haven't read it. Oh, it's a really good. It's a thick book. It's the kind of book that you know your kids are going to be able to reach the table on if you put the book under them. But it's really good because he really goes into into uh, collapse and and what does it look like. And one of the things is is areas on the fringes, uh, especially of a dominant power, tend to do better. So you like you'd never want to be in Washington, DC, right? As the thing goes down or in deep, you know, um, urban, you know, New York City or LA. Yeah. But fringe areas do well. And I had looked at uh like Costa Rica and Panama and um as I said Hawaii. Hawaii was just too far out in the volcanoes. And and the reality of living in a foreign country is uh, well, you know, like Puerto Rico, it may take slower, but the U.S. mail still delivers here. There's Home Depot here. There still is a lot of things that function. Whereas in Costa Rica, you know, it's going to be two or three months if you're going to get a package, right? And and it's a different vibe. Um, I I like the tropics. Again, I'm adapted to it, and, and I'm comfortable with it. I feel hurricanes are not a threat to me. You know, we've got basically four growing seasons here. We're surrounded by an ocean full of fish. Uh, there still are lots and lots of old, they call them the Hebrew. You know, the older folks that, that, that they may not like it. Uh, there may be a stigma against it, but there's lots of people that know how to grow food here. On one side, on the other side, um, it's a very blue state. And man, did they come down with the mask mandates and the whole lockdowns. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, they went nuts with that. That's that's Although, the, that's the biggest yeah. that's the biggest thing that we've noticed over the line, not just the last three years, but even before that, especially during the Trump administration, um, during Hurricane Maria. It was during Maria that we were able to really get a glimpse at local politics down there. Their mayors, um, the, the hiding of supplies, the lying, how their media was pretty much uh, coordinating with CNN over here. And it was like, oh man, over there too. That's why I feel, I, I would feel so bad for everybody down there if they actually became an official 51st state. It would be, it'd be terrible. I, I don't see any kind of strategic advantage for becoming a, a United State at this point. But you know- No, they, they would be taking on huge debt, which they don't have. Right. And- and the, the common people, when they start to realize how much their taxes are going to go up and, and, and that, they, I don't think, I, I, you know, that just goes on and on, but I don't think it's, 
I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. So let um, me let me ask you, know. you this because you mentioned something else about about uh, the seasons and about uh, especially where you're going to be if there is some kind of a collapse. Now you've come on the show a few times just to discuss what people can do to become a little bit more independent and uh, most important, just to learn new skills. At regardless of how limited your space is, we've talked about things that can be done in the suburbs. We've talked about things that can be done grown in apartment buildings and nutrient-dense foods that on a limited budget in limited space. But when it comes to urban areas, in particular cities, this is going to be where the scarcity bomb really hits the fan hardest. So do you have any strategic location spots for city dwellers that will be affordable and and liberating that they, you know, a lot of people say, I can't leave, I mean, I, I'm, I'm limited on funds, I don't know what the, where, where to go. Is there any place off the top of your head that you would say, listen, if you have to get out of New York City, for example, or Washington, D.C., where's the first place you would go if you just had to go? Well, probably the Ozarks if I was on the East Coast, you know, um, Tennessee, or, or also, you know, like North and South Carolina, there's still a lot of good rural areas, probably Ohio. You know, you want to get on that other side of the Appalachian mountain chain where things are still a lot more rural uh, and you're away from the population density on the East Coast. Uh, you know, maybe start scouting some of that out now. Um, also, the real estate market has turned. Uh, you know, I was looking at the stats and it actually turned last May, but now it's starting to become in common parlance. And you talk to people and they're like, yeah, prices are dropping. So, you know, you may not have been able to afford it before, um, you, you might find things that are are, are going to be um, affordable here fairly soon. Hmm. There's also a lot of talk about, you know, there's all these questions of whether the Fed can actually raise interest rates much more because, you know, every time they raise the interest rates, they raise the amount of money they have to pay back for the debt. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I don't know who knows what's going to happen, but um, I say while the banking system is still up, borrow as much money as you can. There was a famous story of that industrialist in Weimar, Germany, who saw, of course, you know, it's pretty easy to see the inflation and then hyperinflation and currency collapse. And he went out and he borrowed as much money as he possibly could. And he bought, but he bought producing assets like railroads and farms and factories. Uh, and he borrowed as much money as he possibly could to buy this stuff. Uh, because, you know, if you're spending, uh, you know, 10 million marks on a building, well, it was an eight month period when when a, the price of a beer went from 10 marks to like a million marks. Mm. Like it was a very short period of time that the currency got completely out of control. And he had this note for $10 million, uh, 10 million marks on a building. Well, you know, after a while, 10 million marks was nothing. So he paid off all that debt. So, uh, you know, that may not be a strategy for, for those with the faint of the heart, but if you're buying an a t asset that's productive, you know, it's a really good strategy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, with, with that, let me ask you this. Uh, what are you honing in on right now with the Grow Network as far as your curriculum and the things that you are are, are honing in or, or really concentrating on with those who are members of the network and subscribers? Because I have to imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that because you pay so close attention to what's going on around the world, does that affect the subjects that you all uh, cover and the skills that you work up on and the seminars that you hold? Like, uh, So right now, are you doing anything uh, concerning jarring and preserving things just to make sure that you are ready for not only just a regular winter, but a winter that might lead into 
a nuclear winter. I, I don't know. What, what are you what are you yeah. thinking about that? Oh, my gosh. You know, there's that Katumba volcano that exploded or something. And, and there's like five or 10 percent more moisture in the air globally. Mm. There's some indication that we may have an, a summer with without there. There may be a summer without a summer, you know, uh, which is last time that happened, I think, was in 1814 or something like that. So no crops would grow. Um, yeah, we've been doing canning and we've been doing most of the stuff for, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for what, 15 years now. So we've built a lot of it. The main effort that, that I've been working on now is uh, at that Grow Your Own Groceries where we have a free webinar and just helping people. People are freaked out and, and, and scared and they see what's gonna happen. And I have spent years figuring out how do you take somebody who, who, who knows nothing you know, maybe they're older or out of shape, and how do you get them producing a lot of food, calories, and and nutrition? You know, malnutrition is the elephant in the room for America, but Americans are deeply malnourished. Now, how do you get them producing that very, very quickly, like just in a matter of weeks, uh, and taking them step by step through that process? So we're we're really focusing on outreach uh, through that free webinar. Um, Yep, and then and then you know I've got that book that Penguin Random House published, and we do have a whole academy which has everything in it: uh, raising rabbits, doing gardens, goats, chickens, canning, home medicine. Because you know, you, having access to medicine is is so important. Making home medicine, foraging, which is a skill that you can learn, and and that might be a good one for city dwellers. We, I am focusing on creating more urban-oriented content because we're just getting so much demand for it. Yeah, the, I, it's it's big. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah, because it yeah. does, just because people are 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 living in the cities right now, still it does not mean that uh, awareness, consciousness is not raising on what kind of danger the world is in right now, and how that translates into localized danger for them, especially. So a lot of people are are becoming wise to the precarious position they are being in these very uh, urbanized areas like the, f the five boroughs i'm i'm about 30 miles outside of all that it's still way too close for comfort for me so i i have some plans for the future and hopefully the future uh, gives me a chance to be able to execute those plans um without it being a, a full-on crisis but but still those who are in the cities they've already they've already lived through another you know 3 or 4 years of of absolute unrest and it's only going to get worse and worse when people start getting hungry now um when it comes to you're talking about survival prepping when it comes to a crisis garden what are what would you say are the absolute linchpins that everybody should be able to get either the, the the heirloom seeds for a crisis garden. What would make the best kind of crisis garden for a limited amount of space that would actually produce a good amount of nutrient dense foods that can save your life and a, maybe a family of three or four? Yeah, well, you know, beans are the classic. Corn, beans, and squash are the classic things to grow. Now they're going to be corn is going to be hard to grow in a in an apartment, but the beans and squash you could absolutely do trellising them especially if you've got access to even a wall or something outside. Um, honestly, some of the biggest calorically dense things are, are uh, you know, another thing, if you're indoors in an apartment, mushrooms are really amazing. I don't know if you've eaten any lion's mane mushrooms. Or oh, they're, yeah. they're meaty. Man, they're really good, you know. <laughs> uh, I have that uh, dehydrated. I, just, I dehydrate. I, I have. I powdered uh, the the lion's mane. It goes in my coffee in the morning, but I've never eaten it like a like a plum before. 
Oh my God, it's it's delicious. I mean, really, I know people talk about what are those big ones, uh, the portobellos that everybody serves if you're a vegetarian and they're trying to make you think you got a hamburger. Yeah. And then, you know, that's okay. But those lion's manes are really like, they got some substance to them. But you can grow mushrooms in an apartment. And then I've been working with a friend uh, in her home for the past six months and we got her set up with quail. And she's got eight quail in a little cage set up in the uh, in the house. Um, and she's getting eight quail eggs a day, which for her is is a substantial meal. There's a substantial amount of protein and fat in, in quail eggs. And, um, you know, they're really pleasant. They're, they just make nice little sounds. And uh, uh, she's getting a lot of material to compost from that. So those are some of the more calorically dense. Um, there are people who do keep rabbits in an, in an apartment or a house and raise them. Uh, I know this is going to get a little fringy, but uh, uh, guinea pigs, <laughs> and I honestly haven't raised guinea pigs yet, but apparently in South America, that's a, that's a food source. Boy, boy. Yeah. I, Let's I, not go there. No, right? yeah. Well, I, I, I listen, if, it, I, I've told you this in the past, that because I understand, I understand that when we're talking about the, the sustaining of human life, I understand when it comes to being able to produce your own food, you have to start facing the grisly facts of where some of your food comes from. And uh, so it's hard for someone like me who has not had to uh, kill and skin a rabbit before to think about raising a rabbit from the time it was born and then having to slaughter it and eat it. I would become too, I feel like I'd become too emotionally attached to the whole thing. But to have that going on in an apartment next to me would be terrifying. Yeah, well, that's why I'd say the poultry, you know, the quail with eggs. You're not, you're not, you're not going to have to butcher them, or, or if they do get old enough that, that they they die, then you can just go ahead and eat the meat and not feel bad about it, right? So, and they're producing eggs, and I really recommend even if, for people that are in the suburban area or something, you know, a small flock of six laying hens, you know, you're going to get about 1,500 eggs a year out of that. That's three egg omelets for breakfast every day of the year plus like 35 dozen eggs to 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 share or barter or trade or whatever so uh you know animal products unfortunately are like a lot of people all immediately go to the garden and you should absolutely have a garden you should absolutely have some fruit trees if you can make that happen uh but unfortunately you know animal products are and 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 i gotta tell you frank when i started i was a raw vegan right and i had never butchered anything and i was like no you know like oh my god right <laughs> so you, you can do it. And, um, you know, I really have so much reverence now for whenever I eat meat. And, uh, and, and honestly, hunters are the most people who are most appreciative when they're, when they're eating meat because they, they know, they know uh, about that animal's life and its death. And it does really get you in touch with, with some realities. For people who just can't do that, you know, there are other people who can, you know, I'm sure there's somebody in your community who's, who's a hunter or a fisherman that like, you know, um, organic farmers say, "Hey, here's 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 a, a dozen rabbits. Uh, if you process them, you know, give me give me ten back, or, or, or whatever you negotiate, right, um, for the work." Mm. So, uh, you know, that that's why community is so important. It is, and I'm glad you brought up the whole idea of barter and trade too, because as you said before, once our money goes to, to shit, and once uh, you know all of our connection to these big. Uh, these big uh, grocery store chains being the provider of all of our sustenance goes to shit. There is really just what do we use 
for a an even exchange of value. Uh, at that point, you, you get down to the bare bones there. What was our money being used for? For things, I mean, all of our creature comforts and all of our, our, our distractions, those go right out the window. We're talking about food. We're talking about staying alive here. At that point, you might as well find a way to actually be able to deal right in some of those products. I'll, I'll give you half a dozen eggs for a blah, 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 a couple of rabbits. I, I see how that is. And to think about quail, too, um, that I keep forgetting about. And I know that they're smaller eggs, but they are nutrient-dense. I looked, I looked into that after you came on, I think, the two times ago. Um, and since then, I always have these Sunday night or Sunday afternoon streams with some of my subscribers for the show. And I know many of them are gardeners. Many of them have gardens. Many of them have are farmers. Uh, some uh, some just because it's a, a family thing passed down. Are others others are in it for the uh, you know for the the commercial end of it too. But a couple of people who just have hens. One couple was in the, in the chat room on Sunday said they have four hens, and they produce nearly five hundred eggs a month. And I'm, wow. yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I was like, well, four eggs, because they're talking about 15, how, how is that, how was that, 15 some odd thing, 15 a day? I don't know, it's like when they're really clicking. No, that, that can't be right. I mean, they can lay or one egg a day, and then they, 15 they, a they week? get a little bit of time off. So your average laying hen is going to do about 250 eggs a year. So, um well, they, they we did the. Oh, so then I'm 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 re- misremembering this because we did the math for this particular person in the chat room, and we're we're in the hundreds for the month. So it must have been a little bit bigger than four there. But I just thinking about having a glut of food as opposed to, and and having that be obviously your feed. Is that the biggest thing you have to work out at that point? Is just well, feed? yeah, but yeah, that's right. And feed is is a, is a big issue. The the really good news is that there is a lot of ways to feed your chickens for free. I recommend people getting started just go buy a bunch of chicken feed because you've got so much else to learn. But there are ways. In fact, when people sign up for that that free webinar, we give them a bunch of we give them a free video on this one friend of mine made on like how to feed your chickens for free on a hundred, you know, he comes up with 50 different ways to feed your chickens. <laughs> and uh, so you can do that. But when, when you start out, you know, buy chicken feed, cause you've got enough other things to learn. Right. So, so uh, to go back to what you were talking about, the money, money supply, um, you know, right now, I think one of the biggest threats is Saudi Arabia and China and Russia have all been openly saying, Hey, I'm Saudi Arabia saying, yeah, I'll sell you oil for gold. And that is the end of the U.S. dollar right there, right? The U.S. dollar has been kept afloat because of the, the whole Britain Woods thing where every, you know, oil was only traded in U.S. dollars. And now that is is uh, imploding. And again, going back to, I, I love studying different um, hyperinflation scenarios and Weimar Germany is one of the ones that's got a lot of write up on it. Actually, during those years uh, or during that year or so, that was some of the most productive agricultural years for for uh, the farmers in Germany. But they couldn't, the money system was broken and they couldn't, you know, they, they, nobody could buy anything. They were actually selling it, I believe, to England or to Ireland or, or out of the country. But, you know, people in the city, the money didn't work anymore, right? Um, I remember, There's stories of a, a, you know, a farmer that just his daughter had always wanted a piano so that he, a, a, you know, a big pound of uh, a big 50 pound bag of potatoes was traded for a beautiful grand piano just because 
you know, and money just didn't work anymore. So trade couldn't happen. And even though there was hugely prolific agricultural years, you know what I mean? There was no money. You need money to facilitate trade and to make it happen. So, oh, um, the other thing that, you, that it makes me think about is how if we don't have taxes, if we don't have overhead or any kind of state-imposed duties, um, energy costs that are obviously through the roof and also manipulated in their own way, I think we've been living. I think all of our energy crises for the last hundred years or so has been completely bogus. I really do believe so. Um, you start to real realize, really realize what real wealth is. Because if you take away everything that we owe at the end of the month, if you take away the fact that four times a year over here in New York, we have to send in our local property taxes and our sewer taxes and our, our uh, school taxes, the, the income taxes on state and federal, you think about all the things that we are frantically running around trying to collect pennies to be able to pay off and stay out of jail and keep a roof over our head, if that all goes away and suddenly all you need to worry about is food and that really becomes the only thing, if we can all just have our property, have a place to be, and then just think about how to produce a little bit, be a little bit more communal with the people next to us. Hey, you're taking care of this. I'll take care of this. We all have our separate lives, but when it comes to the most important things, staying alive, we all of a sudden are doing what you're saying right there, and we're not slaving away uh, just trying to pay the bills of all of our so-called conveniences. And uh, I'm wondering, why am I paying taxes? They just created another $1.7 trillion worth of spending. Couldn't some of that spending bill cover my taxes? Like, yeah. Like, like, you yeah. Know, they just, like, why are they even going through the mirage of making us pay taxes? Like, cause they're just- And it's, it's not, ridiculous. and it's not even, and it's not even that if the taxes would go away, we would cease to be working a lot of the jobs that we're working. Many of us are doing what we love doing. The thing is that we wouldn't have to be working a, a as hard, with so much stress on ourselves and then uh, and then to only have 45 to 50 60 percent taken away by a government who hates us yeah. you know so yeah. it, it just we would be able yeah. to do more important things like what you do at the grow network you know, and and i can show you in that when i do that and i did that webinar for free because really i always knew there would be some kind of crisis like this that came up and 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 so in that i've really condensed it down and the really good news is people think, oh, I'm going to have to be working all day long just to grow food. And, and it's not true at all. I'll, I'll, I'll show you how you can grow half of your own food in the size of three parking spots. And it really, it's less than an hour a day. I'd say about a half an hour a day. So, you know, you're not going to be um, slaving away at this just to produce a few things. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot, nature is really, really abundant. And, uh, and just figuring some things out and setting some systems up. Uh, you can produce a lot without, um, you know, without, without a huge amount of time investment. One of the other consequences of the food prices going up, unfortunately, uh, is is that is what is the cause of rioting. So when there's a riot that breaks out, you know, like in Brazil, they're all going nuts over there. And yes, it's got to do with the voting machines, but also, it when the price of food reaches a certain threshold to where the average person is having a really hard time feeding themselves that's what gets them really angry and upset and the and the you know the 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 official the, the main reason for the riot may be you know whatever some politician did this or a black guy shot a white guy whatever if they're not paid for if the riots aren't supported and paid for if they're real riots it's got to do with with the price of food and um hmm. you know they're yeah so i mean we're 
that's just a thing that's going to happen is, is violence is, is going to increase. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I forget what it was. It, uh, I think it was, mm, and, and this is all studies that were done by our intelligence services that we are, I forget how many missed meals away from not only civil unrest, but even cannibalism. They're, they, they, they even got it down. It's an average. Obviously, some people will, will would rather die than do that. But uh, on average, you want to see the, the, the real animal nature come on out, uh, wait until people are on a are, are operating on a on a chronically empty stomach. And yeah, I, no, I don't I don't know about cannibalism, but in general, it, it's about a week. It's actually less than a week. Because oh. our grocery stores only have, I mean, you go in, it looks like this huge abundance, right? But there's really only four days worth of food supply in, in your average grocery store. Every morning, there's those trucks, beep, beep, unloading stuff continuously. And that's what the whole interstate system and the and the trucking system. And, and I'm sure you've got truckers that listen to you. And, like, it's, it astonishes me, like, like how the interstate system turns into this gigantic trucking funnel to yeah. move all this stuff around. Um, but um, there, there's only four days worth of food supply in the grocery stores, and if anything ever happens, you know that's that's it. And between that and what people have in their pantries, so it's it's a very short period of time when all the food runs out. If there's that kind of a, a, a dire scenario, <laughs> I haven't looked into the cannibalism one though. I I gotta honestly, go find it. Yeah, I'm people gonna send you right. Me, they say, would you, would you eat? And I'm like, oh my god, the average American is like the most toxic thing on the planet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great thing to consider. Like, uh, uh, cannibalism on the whole, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that some other time. But as far as well, cannibalizing an American, I don't know. I don't, yeah, th I, I don't no, think I no, can that do thing is, that. thing is really toxic. And you think about what the average American eats. Good grief, you know. Because <laughs> 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 all my friends were looking at me and they're like, well, you eat a really clean diet. Hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I, haven't had, I haven't had a happy meal in 30 years. Why would I eat an American? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's great. okay so um because we're, we're we're down to the last couple of minutes here uh before we uh before you because i have the grownetwork.com in in the description i hope that people go and check out the website see what you got going on and uh hopefully to to, yeah. to join the, your the web yeah the webinar is at growyourowngroceries.com and that's probably the best way like i said that's where that free webinar is um, you know, we are a business. I mean, I, you know, we're not a nonprofit, although we've functionally been a nonprofit forever, which is really interesting. But, you know, I've always known that something like this would happen. So this has been a very purpose and mission driven organization. And we really are here to, to serve and to help. I've, I've been where people are now. It just happened to me early. And I'm going to tell you that growing your own food is so healing and it's so good and it's something that you can do that's proactive and it's kind of amazing like you can grow your own food right you can grow food right you know you don't have to have a military industrial governmental complex <laughs> oh yes I, I and you know last night i had my uh, a friend of mine on a nutritionist friend of mine on and we were talking about certain things as medicine before you go i would love for you to throw out it, maybe one or two things when it comes to at-home medicines, everyday medicines that can be sourced from natural places that you you think that people need to have home and why, why and how you can use it. If you can leave leave us with one or two of those things, that would be great because it would go hand in hand with a lot of the, the 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 conversation we had last night about things like goat kefir and fermented foods and how they are so immune boosting. Um, so when it comes to home medicine in your line of work give us the, one the, or two things yeah the, 
the first home medicine I recommend people start out with is, is so simple and humble. It's garlic, fresh garlic. Uh, and you can grow garlic. And I think if, I think we have it at a website called garlicmiracles.com. And I wrote a whole ebook on it. It's not too bad. It's seven pages where it goes into how to use it. But basically, garlic has like, now it's 35 known constituents that are antibacterial, antiviral, antimicrobial. So it's an incredible natural antibiotic that has been effective for thousands and thousands of years. The, they're not, there's, this is not gonna become antibiotic resistant like penicillin or tetracycline or those things. It's very simple to use. You take a fresh clove of garlic, smash it with the, the flat side of a knife to where you put pressure on it and then chop it up real finely so it gets oxidized and that will release, uh, I believe it's the alanins in it. And that's a really, really potent um, medicine. Uh, take that, don't take it on an empty stomach because it's really strong medicine. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, have something in your in your belly and maybe take it with some butter. For those of you that are total wimps, take it with some honey. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's just such a great internal antibiotic. So if I, like when I got snake bit or uh, if I have something going on or if I know I'm going somewhere and I'm feeling run down, uh, you know, I'll do, um, you know, I'll do a couple of cloves of garlic every day, you know, uh, three to three to even up to eight if I'm feeling really bad. Wow. Because it, it just boosts your immune system really, really naturally. I also think garlic is like the incredible survival food because I have tried living off just off of like beans and rice for a long time just to see. And the appetite fatigue is a real deal. And so having herbs and spices and garlic and stuff to like switch up the tastes and the flavors, super important. And, you know, garlic, man, that'll make anything taste good. Hey, listen, I, I'm, a, I'm Italian. You don't have to tell me about garlic. Yeah, see, yeah, right. You so. got the Italian thing going. And you can grow garlic. And, and it's, it's a fairly easy crop to grow. So, um, you know, super good. There are so many wonderful medicines. I bet there's a zillion medicines you've passed by every day and didn't realize it. So, um uh, yeah, definitely. That's a, a, another big part of the grow network is a lot of people are into herbal medicine and like, oh my God, instead of pulling that weed, did you know that that's like really good to help with this or that or the other? So, um, yeah. I, I hope that people explore with you a lot more, Marjorie. And as this year presses on, I would definitely love to have you back for another one of our, our roundups and chats. Thank you for everything here tonight. Uh, thegrownetwork.com. Is there anything else that people need to know as far as how to reach out to you? Yeah, well, the best, as I said, the best one is going to be GrowYourOwnGroceries.com because that's where the free the free webinar is. And um, yeah, and um, you know, we, I really do want to help people. I I know I know so many people are freaked out, and I've been there, and I really know that the, the I, this is such a healing path. So please please start growing your own food in some way, no matter where you are, even if it's just some herbs on a windowsill. Uh, so GrowYourOwnGroceries.com. It's super empowering, super fun. I've cut out all the gloom and doom. <laughs> oh, yes, you have. It always delivered with a smile. I appreciate that with you, uh, uh, Marjorie. And thanks for the call tonight, and, and Happy New Year to you. And thanks for having me on the show, Frank. I really appreciate you. I love when you come back every time, and we'll, we'll keep doing it this year. Okay. Talk right. to you later. Then. Bye, bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's 8 o'clock. We're going to go on a really quick break. When we come back, that was a really wonderful time. It always is when Marjorie stops by. When we come back, Norbin Laden is going to be checking in with us at some point from her vantage point in uh, Europe during the week of this uh, Davos congressional meeting. And 
and we'll get to her in a little bit. Your super, your super chats, perhaps some calls. We'll see how much time we have left afterwards. But don't go anywhere. It's been a good week. It's been a good night. Thanks again, Marjorie Wildcraft. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Quite frankly. Let's go, Brandon. Not quite. Quite frankly in Roma, Italia. I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch, quite frankly, with Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? We are back on the other side of break, and it's 8.05 on the East Coast. Have a couple of Super Chats. Not many. Just a a few to to see what people are thinking, and and then some other things we can do in the meantime. We have a few minutes before Noor calls in. Teabag says, hey, Frank, late shout out for Steve and Jonathan the other night. He explained the trivium and quadrivian so I could actually understand how to apply it. If I'd been raised with that, I probably wouldn't have gotten drunk and passed out at so many parties. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why not? Does the trivium and quadrivium uh, teach, teach you not to party so hard? That's just something different, but that's funny. Okay, well, uh, you have it. You have a chance now, chance now to take take it down a notch and just nurture a buzz. Don't get wasted. But thank you for that tea bag. It's great to have you out there. Uh, let's see what else we have going on over here on Rumble. We got one Rumble rant. It's from Rainbow, or Rainbow. It's just spelled differently. Rainbow, so no one in this chat rants, I will. Hi, Frank, no tube, no more tube for me. 
It's so good to have you there, Rainbow. Yeah, well, hey, you are more than welcome to rant in the Rumble Rants. I, I, I love you all over there. I think we are, we're flirting with 26,000 subscribers on Rumble now. It's starting to really come around. It's a Friday night, so Friday nights are usually, everybody's getting their, their weekends in order, and, and, and there's a little bit less people who watch on Friday. Alive, everybody gets caught up in their own way, but still we have wonderful, wonderful um, audiences across all platforms right now. I just love how there's so many eggs and so many different baskets, and we're not in all one spot under the same tree during a lightning storm. Don't want to do that, right? Okay, let's see here. Over on Foxhole. C. Blanche says, great show, great guest. Thanks, Frank, and thanks, fam. Cave Toads says, I have to bow out. I can't wait to watch the rest tomorrow. Love to all the Franklies and Patriots. Keep fighting. Thank you, Cave Toad. Um, sent over another pair of shades he did for the fun sweets, which kill us via additives. Boy, just sweet tooth over there for Cave Toad. Thank you, Sean Joe. Dark Horse says, quite frankly, one of the best shows on the web. I appreciate that more than you know. Just because, that's Bob, he sent a whole bunch of cans over. It looks like a just short of a six-pack, but it's all right. And River Pike sent a cookie. Curious Patriot sent some love. Bob says, oh, oh, he did complete the six-pack. He says, a six-pack to kick off the weekend. And uh, many thanks for a fine week of shows. Thank you. Thank you all so much. That's very nice. I have a lot of things we can do uh, to pass the time. First, I want to do some Babylon B, since we're just hanging out together. There's other people who wrote in about some shows this week, especially with fertility. I guess I could do some of that. From yeah, it's, Friday is usually a night for roundups and doing... Uh, collected thoughts throughout the week and, and just having fun and cracking jokes and all that stuff. But here's one from Jay, uh, uh, something that came in. Jay from Sweden had wrote this to me about the, uh, about what we were talking about with Leo last Friday. We could go tonight. I got this earlier on in the week. Jay says, hey man, I'm catching up on the show and I'm listening to Leo very closely. So much info, he sheds off like a fart in the wind and I'm just trying to catch a whiff. I have to rewind and rewind just to really understand. He mentioned how there was a dude who was in the music and esoteric scene that created the Church of Psychic Youth. I'm sure you've probably never heard of them before because I haven't heard the name since 1989 or so. I had an elementary school friend who attended a, who attended a Lutheran school with me and I ran into him at the mall. He was all messed up and emo, telling me he no longer believed in God and had joined the Church of Psychic Youth. He was destroyed inside because his sister and grandma died and he blamed God. He told me about it, and I told him it sounded like a satanic thing, and he said no, and then we never spoke again. It brought back memories of him to me when Leo mentioned it, because it took one of my old friends, and he wasn't doing good. He was also working at Orange Julia's at the mall, so that probably didn't help. So weird. I'm going to have to research them even more. I forgot what Eric told me. Yeah, I know that the, psych, the Church of Psychic Youth, because I looked into it a little bit, it was in, in some loose way 
connected to the process church the process and 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 frank and jim zell they've we've talked about that a lot in the past as well uh they want to do some things on south africa with me which i'm just like fine i want to get you guys back on the show we'll talk about south africa we'll talk about whatever you want i still want to do the john benet episode she was real by the way Here's another one. Now, there's a couple on fertility clinics that came in. This is this is a little bit of a long one, but let's just see. Hey, Frank, uh, in around 2012, I moved to San Diego and got a job as a web developer at a small startup. It was San Diego Music.tv. The startup was about four people in their 20s, led by this girl, Megan, running around filming local bands and wanted to put a website together to promote the bands. It was only a few days before I realized that San Diego Music was actually a small part of a bigger company that her, that her Megan's parents, owned. When I wasn't busy with working on the music site, her father, John, would have me do all these other websites for fertility clinics. He'd also often ask me to go over to the offices of these fertility companies to do IT stuff, setting up printers, debugging laptops, etc. I was complaining one afternoon to the gang that I had to work, I had work to do on the music website, and I kept getting pulled off to help all these old ladies at the fertility clinic sort out laptop bugs, and someone goes to Megan, can't someone else go and do that? And Megan was like, well, I'm not allowed to be seen there. Strange. A few months later, I found out why. Megan's mom, Teresa, had got out, uh, have got out of prison right before I was hired because of this massive international baby scam. And she gave me all the links and stuff like that, but uh, I don't want, I'm not gonna share it just because I don't want to dox anybody. Basically, this family, the Ericsons, they had multiple fertility companies all located in the same building with the same staff. They were flying girls out to Ukraine where the fertility laws were non-existent to impregnate them and fly them back before any family had signed up for a baby. It worked for a while because every time a family would, would, would inquire about a child, this family, the Ericsson's companies would say, we have this one baby due in a few months. And the previous ba- family has backed out. When in reality, there was never an initial family uh, requesting the babies. They were just, they're just baby farming. The surrogate moms that were flown to Ukraine were never told that there wasn't someone requesting the pregnancy. So they all thought that a family was already set up from the start. The crazy part was that Teresa, the mom, was a famous surrogacy attorney. I believe she even went on national television a few times before getting caught. I'm sure the whole scam was exposed when a few of the babies were born before the Ericsons had uh, found a customer. The surrogate mothers found out that there was never a, a family and they blew the whistle. I think that's what finally exposed it. Although you may, you may want to dig into some of the stories in case my facts are at 100%. Okay, so here's where it gets really interesting. The, the, the father was a former Marine Marine, and according to Megan, the movie Green Zone with Matt Damon playing the head of the units of Marines running around uh, in Iraq looking for WMDs, WMDs, was based on her father. He was literally the head of that unit that Matt Damon was playing, and Megan said that her father never talks about his time in the Marines, but after seeing the movie, he was totally silent for a few minutes. 
and then finally said that was exactly what it was like. The movie was totally accurate, and then he never said anything more about it. Things started getting weird at San Diego Music since the whole thing was costing John a lot of money, the father, and they weren't bringing in any money. He would complain often that the only money any of us were making for him was the fertility websites that I was working on in my spare time. It was about eight months into the project when the offices were robbed and loads of instruments and gear were stolen. We had sound stage in the back on the green screens. We would record bands along with two gorgeous Taylor guitars signed by Bob Taylor that had been donated to the project. The robbers took our computers, cameras, mixers, music instruments. It was probably around $20,000 worth of stuff. Then John turned up that morning. He didn't seem upset at all. He was like, well, shit, I should have put security in here. Let's just go to the bar. And of course, Teresa was already on the phone with the insurance company. What do you think happened? So we had a, insurance, uh, a, a, a security system installed along the way. And sure again, a few months later, we were robbed again. So at that point, I was done with them. Clearly, we were already destined for a special place in hell from the baby scam. And then there were these two robberies. They were clearly destined for a special place in hell, not her. Uh, a, a course, a few of us were suspecting that the robberies were an inside job. Anyway, just wanted to share some of that on air. Wowee. Yeah, no, there's a lot of it. There is a lot of it. There is a lot of it. I had a couple more on that end, but think about that story. And farming out to Ukraine. Just crazy. Well, we have a we have a caller. Let's see who it is. Hello, Noor. Is that you? Frank. Hey. Oh, it's so great to hear you. How's everything been? How's everything? How's the end of the year? How's the new year treating you? Listen, it's so great to hear your voice. Uh, I believe it's the first time we're speaking on the phone, except for you know exchanges uh, via messages. So happy new year! All the best for 2023 to you and your girls. Yes. Well, the same to you and yours over there. And yeah, I think the last time that we heard each other's voice was when we recorded the episode for your podcast, which I got so many positive reviews about. Hey, uh, they, most people said that it was just such a comfortable conversation that they could have just uh, they could have just you know curled up with a, a cup of coffee somewhere. And it was like being in on a, a, a talk with friends. A cup of cocoa. I oh. think we even mentioned that on the call. Yeah. Then that's it. That's it. You needed it. Yeah, you'll have to come back on, by the way, very soon because I really enjoy talking with you, whether it's on uh, recorded calls from my podcast, coming on your show, which is always such a pleasure. I mean, only you could get me to stay up and speak to you at past two a.m. in the morning oh after God. the week that I've had. Uh, okay, well, you're, you're, that's crazy. Uh, I, I keep getting reminded of how much time you take out for us and, and what you do to just stay awake. And I don't want to take away from too much more of your beauty sleep. So let's talk about that week, <laughs> that week that you had. I have to imagine that your podcast is going to chronicle a lot of this, but you've also been on regular calls, it seems, uh, you know, a, a lot with, with people like Steve Bannon and getting everybody the, uh, the skinny from your neck of the woods. What have you... A, uh, what have you seen and what have you, I don't know, just taken in from the time that you observed Davos from any considerable distance? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I've mainly been reporting for Steve Bannon's War Room. I did a few other uh, interviews here and there for InfoWars and also with Jack Posobiec, but it was absolutely 
uh, important for me to come on your show because, as you know, you're my favorite and the Franklies are just so wonderful. So I'm super happy to be here and give a little bit of a roundup at the end of this week. I was in Davos at the start of the week, at the start of the week until Wednesday night. So the World Economic Forum were having their annual meeting, which took place from Monday to today. And I just moved back to Geneva to continue reporting uh, from here the past couple of days, the past two days. But I've been following very closely uh, from uh, the ground in Davos and here in Geneva, which actually houses the WEF headquarters, uh, you know, as their base. So they move over for the annual meeting in Davos once a year in January. But in general, like their main offices are here in Geneva. Uh, because Switzerland, in essence, is the chosen base uh, of the globalists where they located many of these international organizations, you know, such as the UN and all its daughter entities. Um, here in Geneva, you also have the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, you know, the banks of the Bank of Central Banks, etc. But coming back to Davos, um, what I've been reporting on this week is... Uh, is I mean there are there are different angles we could look at this, but a first takeaway I would say for people to understand what this conference or forum is about, um, this is in essence a giant press conference. Uh, the WEF is one of the communication vehicles of the globalists through which they um, reveal what plans they have for us. Hence, why I've been referring to it as the control reveal. Um, of their plans and their agenda. And so you look at the different panels that took place this week, and it's just a menu of enslavement. Uh, there's, there's no other way to put it. Using the pretext of climate change, the pretext of future pandemics, because of course we know how good they are at predicting those. Uh, in essence, just the various crises that they use in order to justify the rolling out of the new world order agenda, which has been set decades ago, if not actually longer. We can even trace back the roots of um, globalism to uh, the 1800s, uh, at least. And so we are in the latest stages of that implementation of this plan. And uh, and it was just basically, as I said, the the PR or the communication aspect of it to let us plebs know what is in store for us. You know, I, I know that there is a lot. I know that there's a lot that we pick up on now more than ever. But, but there's been a big change uh, even before. I've been paying attention to this, especially to fuel some of the conversations that I have on the broadcast that I've been doing in the last 15 years. But um if you go back 10 years, maybe even eight years, you look in on any of these gatherings, you look in on uh, whatever Davos and the World Economic Forum, these these entities were doing, they were fairly mum and fairly um, undetectable things that were going, I mean, they, they would get some kind of press coverage in places like Forbes and the Wall Street Journal, because anybody that's paying attention to where the economic uh, winds are, might be blowing uh, in 
on a global economic or financial stage would want to know what the biggest CEOs of the biggest companies in the world are doing when they make trips to Bilderberg or anywhere else like that. But for the most part, you would get these flowery kind of kumbaya visions of the world and what new technologies are coming out. But in but nor in the last, especially the last three to five years, especially since COVID, this has been nothing but you can expect these people to get together and for an entire week, it should just be called the catastrophe summit. It is nothing but promising all the different ways in which the world is going to be destroyed. The predictive programming, the Hegelian dialectics are laid on so thick. We are we are being promised that cyber warfare, cyber pandemic is coming. The, 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 the Ukrainian escalation keeps getting sold to us like it is a moral duty for us to embark on. The, the screeching about the climate change, this tsunami of announcements of new vaccines that are coming. And with it, with those shots, come this... This vague digital support system that they keep saying is going to be necessary for being able to function with in tandem with these shots. So it's not enough that the, the drug companies are going to be coming out with new uh, things that they want to inject into us. There has to be new digital systems that go along with it. It has, it has taken such a dystopian turn in the last three or four years. I, it makes it almost... Um, uh, it, everything before it just kind of disappears. Frank, you just summarized the whole week so perfectly, and especially the part where the underlying element of all of this is the digitization of all aspects of our lives. And this is what I've been talking about this week um, in terms of uh, the, the, the term that we can use here is metrology the science of measurement and the goal for them is to track everything everywhere all the time and it's the first time in history where we are at a point where this is feasible because of advancements in technology because you know of um the internet of things of 5g of the different devices of um digital currencies we are in a place in this time where they are on the brink of realizing this project of digitizing everything and essentially putting us into digital jails. And the the plan is out in the open. I've referred to several times this week um, to this video that was posted early last summer by Mikhail Fedorov, the deputy prime minister of Ukraine. He posted this very sleek, stylized, like, PR um, uh, PR realized, you know, campaign video entitled Ukraine 2030. And this is part of uh, American taxpayer dollars is, is being flooded into the country to finance this. But it's essentially the digitization of every single government service. And so you look at this video and it goes into detail um, on exactly how they want to implement um, these digital jails, as I refer to them. And this guy was given a prominent uh, role this week in, uh, in Davos, speaking on a couple of uh, panels on this very topic. And so this is not fiction, as you said. This is very much dystopia. And, you know, we can also go into everything that relates uh, to transhumanism. But something that I said 
when I was on Steve Bannon's show today, I had this sentence that really like got that's like cut through everything at some point when I was thinking and and um, and was preparing to make comments on a clip he was showing about this panelist who was talking about uh, the brain and and microchipping us, et cetera, and measuring our our brain waves. That sentence just came to me, and it was, um, "Their utopia is our dystopia," mm. and this is very much. Uh, the essence, I think, of the world they want to impose on us. Yes, yeah. I, I, uh, whenever we talk about dystopian futures, the best way I can ever muster in in describing it is it's a state in which a society or a civilization, a species, is living in this uh, this this crazy dichotomy where the technology is very very high and the the humanity level is very, very low, where you have all of these these gadgets that I think in any other time would be considered miraculous, but when held in, uh, when juxtaposed against the fact that the, the human species is being robbed of its culture and of its conscience and of its consciousness, it's, it's nothing short of a digital prison or hell. And, um, and, and that's why if I were a child in the 1990s and I would see any of these these big technologists and futurists get together on a televised summit like this, or if we had the internet back then, which it was just starting to become available, certainly was no streaming video. But if we saw all this stuff back in the 1990s, um, it, it would be one of those things where we, we, we would probably think that we're a couple of a couple of steps away from living in the Star Wars universe. There's just so much so much to be excited about but would you see what is happening to our ability to treat with each other as as people mm-hmm. uh, the, the technology is so imposing it becomes so imposing and so dark because how is this going to be used it's going to be used as another weapon for one side to dominate the other because there is no harmony in the actual uh, in, in humanity right now. So the weapons cannot be a harmonizing thing. It cannot. It, it can't be. By design, you know, and we've often discussed when I've been on the show before, um, in essence, that the goal for them is to poison us, mind, body and soul. And to, to continue on that point and to bounce off on what you were just saying, their goal is to strip us of our humanity, of our human dignity, and of any form of freedom. They want to completely crush any type of independence. And that you know translates in every aspect of society, whether it's, as we've discussed as well in the past, you know, the capturing of the uh, food chain. And as you were discussing with your lovely guest uh, uh, before I was on, that was uh, such a, a great conversation you were having about about how it's so important that we that we uh, make sure that we can be completely independent or as independent as possible from the um, the food chain that has been completely taken over by the globalists through corp- the corporatization of agriculture, in essence. And um, and it's just, in, in, we are very much, I mean, and you said it before as well um, in the previous segment, this is war, like there is no doubt about it. It's a war on so many different levels, psychological, um, physical, spiritual. Every, I mean, 
the essence of what it means to be a human being is under attack here. And also on my segment today on 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 Bannon's show, I said that I am a human being, not a QR code. And in essence, they want to transform us into these these QR codes, these cogs in the machine that are basically there just to serve just to serve them in uh, in their production chain and those who are um, who are of no use of them well we know how they're trying to dispose of us yeah. right yeah yeah how how close were you able to get um, I know I, I think I always think it's interesting when someone like a, a Klaus Schwab or um, a a uh, Boris Johnson or someone else shows up and somehow an independent journalist who's unaffiliated with any of their handler networks gets close to them, asks them a question, and when they realize it's not com- it's not going to be a completely scripted exchange with a friendly asset, they run for the hills. Were, were you able to get uh, close enough to any of the invited guests? Actually, that's not something that I attempted to do at all. Okay. Uh, insofar as I'm not, um, uh, it's not. It's not even something that I thought about doing. And there are people on the ground that do that so terrifically. And I have to give uh, huge props to Ezra Levant and Avi Yemeni for cornering Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, because that was, I think, the most important. Uh, moment of the week. It really was just. Um, personally, I think it was it was the most significant uh, event that happened in terms of cornering one of these minions and confronting them with these absolutely critical and essential questions. Because at the end of the day, and this is what I said also throughout the week, these people are minions. They have been tasked by the true uh, decision makers or, you know, the leaders, those who are at the very top of the pyramid of this cabal. And they're essentially paid actors. And Klaus Schwab, as I've said, is the chief minion of this WEF uh, outfit. And, uh, and they, don't know, they don't know what to say when they're confronted by, by actual human beings, you know, like Ezra Levant and... Uh, and uh, Avi Yemeni, and this also great and terrific journalist from Japan, uh, uh, Masako, who managed to corner Klaus Schwab I saw that one. Uh, himself. Yeah, that was great too. Yeah. So, no, huge, uh, huge kudos to these uh, terrific journalists for um, calling them out because this is exactly what we need to do. These people are actors. And they are not, uh, they have no right. They have no right over our lives. And uh, and I don't know who it is who placed them there exactly. People who sit atop those central banks, uh, per, perhaps across the world. And um, people whose names and identities, probably if you go very at, at the very, very top, we don't even know. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're, I, I don't want these people deciding uh, how I should live my life in any way, shape, or form. I'm glad that you just you're you're out there. Doesn't matter. I, I think that it's just very important for people like you. You're like a an agent of the light that is just in the area. There's something very um, 
I don't know. I, I, I won't go as far as saying sanctifying about the whole thing, but I'm glad that people like you are, are drawn to at least be there to be among some of the, 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 the rush and the, the, uh, the, the craziness of all, the, though you didn't have any access on the inside. I'm glad that you're just there observing that you are, are keeping a line with the rest of us in the media in, in, in uh, the West, especially new media. That's where the moving and shaking is really done these days. It's just, it's just great to have you on here tonight, Noor, and it's just so early in the morning where you are right now. I, I feel like I want to just let you go sleep. No, don't worry about it, really, Frank. I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I say that I just love joining you on, on your show and you're really my favorite. So it's a pleasure. And your audience, the Franklies, are just so wonderful. So I just wanted to say hi, everyone. But, you know, to your point, what's been really infuriating about this week you know it's just listening to them those people who have no authority and who have no rights by the way as i just mentioned to listen to them speak about the dramatic state of the world you know and how bad it is and quote they predict these these crises quote i, I say predict in quotation marks because we know they orchestrate them and then weaponize them and that's the point you know they're talking about this this dramatic state of the world when in fact um, to a large part, if not exclusively, they're responsible for it. And they're engineering all of this precisely with the intention of leading us towards our serfdom. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that the one good thing I can say about all this craziness is that though it is not going to be a comfortable ride forward, at least we are right in the middle of it now. And we're not going to have to wait too much longer for a, uh, a final face-off and a series of face-offs and people just being able to declare their intentions and uh, and, and and make their moves. I, I hate the build-up for them to continue to promise us that these events are coming, events that we know that they have all hand in because they're preventing, they're presenting us with the solution before the, the uh, problem even shows up. It's just... Um, uh, enough with it. I feel like it's been all wretch, no vomit lately, and just let's just get on with it. Um, how about you tell me something and tell the rest of the tell the rest of the audience what we can expect out of you for the next couple of weeks, uh, or especially as this we, uh, you know uh, trickles down and uh, closes up shop over there in Switzerland. Are you going to be updating your podcast with new episodes, or do you have any other media spots scheduled on any other shows that we can look out for? What does your next week look like? Well, probably for the next 24 hours, I'm going to stay in my pajamas. Good <laughs> for you. already the Good plan. for you. And uh, on that note, I hope the audience will excuse me for my, you know, late... Uh, like bedroom voice and my lack of uh, precision in the terminology that I use. But your audience is very cool. I'm sure they won't mind. I just hope my message gets across. But no, for the next few weeks, I think I'm going to um, kind of distill um, everything that was said this week. Because at the end of the day, we do really need to listen to the ter their terminology, their nomenclature very closely. And... Um, and share the clips, you know, at the end of the day, an informed population is the best bet we have um, to fighting this. And they they say they say their plans in plain English. You know, I have I mean, I, I had written down, you know, quotes from 
from uh, Tony Blair on uh, on the digital infrastructure yep. that they're going to ram down our throats with these repeated quote uh, pandemics and uh, repeated uh, vaccine developments because you know they're just going to keep rolling out that playbook with uh, the pandemic I mean why wouldn't they it worked really well the first time right and then as you mentioned as well there's this this looming cyber attack and then we know that there's an imminent uh, economic collapse that is coming as well um, so there's just a lot of information that was shared another thing that I had highlighted was this term that they keep using, which is a public slash private partnership? Oh yeah, oh and yeah. Well, is, that, that, yeah. That, that came that came directly out of our FD, FBI director. Yeah, who was exactly, out there. Christopher Ray. I have the quote actually right here. He said, "The level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has made significant strides." And I thought that was really interesting. And I think this term specifically is very interesting because it illustrates how or at least a small part but it illustrates an important part nonetheless of the globalists superstructure or architecture whereby when um let me put it that way how it works is that the globalists they use captured governments and corporations interchangeably to push the agenda and when they are limited for example to enforce policies uh, through the state on the governmental level because the public just isn't going for it, then they'll push this change that they're looking to implement via um, ubiquitous services. So think about the digitization again, we come back to that term of all aspects of our society where you cannot, you cannot access basic um, services or um, if they, if they or when rather they implement um, uh, digital currencies, you basically won't be able to do anything. And we got a preview of that uh, with uh, with the so-called COVID pandemic, where I don't know, you had at least in, in Europe, I stopped traveling. And I said this to, to Steve earlier today, I stopped traveling. I didn't, I haven't taken a plane since 2020, because I refused at some point you needed to show a QR code with your PCR test, et cetera. And again, I come back to the sentence that I keep saying, I'm a human being, not a QR code. And I just refuse to partake in the system where they're going to ask me to show a bloody QR code on my phone that is tied to my human self. I just don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was that was a primer. They're going to accelerate the implementation of this in the next couple of years. and. I say it all the time, we're going to get on the other side of the tunnel. There is light on the outside of that tunnel. It's just going to get really, really dark the next couple of years as they try to um, to implement their goal. And I know they will fail. I have faith they will fail, but they're not going to just give up like that. And they're going to cause a great amount of destruct destruction um as they as they go down so we have to prepare yes we do yes we do and and talks like these really really do help people at least find focus their their uh their thoughts and um and and, pri and make help them prioritize what needs to happen in their own lives and and with their own friends and family and that's a I just thank you so much for being on again, Noor, and we will catch up again soon. You go catch up on some sleep in the meantime, and we'll talk over the weekend, I'm sure. 
Yeah, let's text. It would be great to speak uh, offline as well. And just hi to everybody. And thanks for having me on. It was great to be with you. And I wouldn't have missed it uh, just to do a little catch up at the end of this week. It was great to be here. Oh, much appreciated. Sending all my love out there to Switzerland and we'll talk soon. Me too. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. There she goes. Wow. Um, great thoughts. She's always very articulate and, and deep when it comes to that. Uh, he, here's a little of the craziness. We can end with this because it made me think about Dan Pena. I want to end with the Dan Pena thing. First, here's Al Gore. Because when I saw Al Gore screaming and shitting his pants, the first thing I thought about was uh, about climate change. The first thing I thought about was Dan Pena, who who's, who ended this this wonderful rant. It was from, I don't know how many years ago at this point. It was years ago. Uh, when was this? I don't know. I'll uh, I'll look into it and we'll, and we'll play it. But I love how he ended this rant talking specifically about Al Gore, the scam of, of Al Gore and his his climate catastrophe. Where is it? Hold on. Screen capture. All right, getting that out of the way. Good, perfect. Listen to Al Gore. Just a short clip. You probably heard it before. Nut job. Of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We, we, we created all these climate crises. We, we create all this catastrophe and these, these migrant crises. And, and what do you know? What do you know? We send millions of migrants into the West, and uh, people are xenophobic. You know, we destroy the, the the migrants' home countries, and we shove them into Europe and and the United States, and and and, and these 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 racist Europeans and Americans, they, they don't want them. What are we gonna do? All my my friends keep destroying the world and and creating migrant crises all over the place, and you stupid fucking serfs won't take the refugees, you xenophobic fucks. We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had. And we need have had and we need to make some changes. Yeah, the, the change is you should have died in 2015 with the rest of us, you stupid fucking huckster. You should have died in 2015. That's when we were all dead. That's when that's when Al Gore died. That was act, that wasn't actually him. That was the ghost of Al Gore. Okay, that was Al Marley, with his chains. You you thought that was Al Gore? It's not. That was the ghost of Al Gore. I'm going to play this in its entirety. It's Dan Pena. This was years ago. But I guess London Real wanted to re-upload this. This was this was from years ago. Maybe they have an original date. I don't know. This. This Australian lady gets up and she's going to be the mama bear. She's going to tell Dan Pena, when are you going to take climate change seriously? I have two children. She mentions uh, that the children are like 80 years old. But she's the mama bear and you're going to let me say my piece. She's an asshole, an idiot at that. And uh, and I love everything that Dan Pena says, who is a, a, a badass in his own right. And uh, But I, you got to listen to this. So just think about the the windbag that is 
Al Gore. And here's a little bit from Dan Pena, billionaire supreme. Dan, you got the money. Okay. I got, yeah, I got a few, Bob, yeah. Okay. Uh, she, for those of you who didn't hear it, she said, Dan, you've got the money. So she's automatically pitting everybody. We don't have the money, and we, we need the climate. You billionaires are fine. You have money. If the world is going to melt down, does it matter who has a trillion and who has a thousand? Does it matter who has a billion dollars in the bank and in assets and all that stuff and who is living hand to mouth? Every Does it really matter if the entire planet is rolling down? I mean, that is the literal, the literal uh, 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 example of at the end of the game, the king and the pawn go back into the same box. Okay? It doesn't matter what kind, what, what you have accumulated uh, on earth, you're going into the same box with the pawn. That's it. So she's starting off. She's starting off with her nonsense because this is what bitchy women do. Here you go. Dan, you got the money. Okay. I got, yeah, I got a few, Bob, yeah. Okay. You support Trump? You do? Yep. Okay. I was one of the first endorsers, public okay. endorsers of, of President Trump. What are you Trump. guys going to do when our ocean level rises? <laughs> Thank you for asking that no. question. I have the answer, though. No, let me finish. I have the answer. Let me finish. Well, well, uh, thank right you for the now. question. Yeah. Right now, for, okay. For the first time on earth, yeah. we're changing the gas. Now you're full of shit. Sit down. I'm going to answer you. I'm going to answer you. Just Dad, shut up and you. shut up and sit down. No way. Sit down. No. No. I got to finish my question. Uh, you. A I'm going to answer global warming. Right, All right. Finish now, the question. Then answer. It's changing on earth, and it's changing to CO2. What do you people with the money, what are you doing about this? Because I'm going to tell you right now. No, I've got children. I've got 21, 23-year-old children. <laughs> and what... I had, in fact, I have to get home to change their diapers right now. What's <laughs> their future with you people with money? You, you, you talk about money all of the time. Okay, okay. Sit down, okay. please. Sit down, please. What In the front row. Excuse me. Earth. In the front row. Please about sit down. Earth. Okay, you've asked your question. Thank you very much. Okay, you I'm going gonna, gonna to answer. Excuse me, ma'am. Will you please sit down? And, uh, please. Thank you. That's okay. Please sit down. Let him answer. Okay. In 2011, my wife and I were in Antarctica renewing our vows. For most of you that don't know, Antarctica's on a mountaintop. Okay. And uh, there is a $500 million fa um, facility, uh, scientific facility there. And, and the scientists came to give us presentations about global warming. And they had cores of ice that they had drilled. They had drilled four or 5,000 cores, and they only brought 15 or 20. So they're going through the second or third core, and they said, uh, 275,000 years ago, this was the temperature, blah, 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 blah. And then 55,000 years ago, the world was two degrees warmer Celsius than it is today. This is 2011. And oh, wait, stop, stop, stop. And he said, and I said, well, you mean the whole world? He says, yes. And the poles are only benchmarks. And I said, well, what about the things that the, the young woman alluded to? Okay. And he said, it's all cyclical. And although the gas may have exacerbated it, in the cosmos of time, it's not a fart in the wind. Now, I'm gonna stop right there for a second because I don't know if he's talking about the Vostok ice core samples 
in particular. But as I said this morning when I was co-hosting with John on Badlands Media for their daily brief, uh, he, he had referenced something that sounded a lot like what Dan Pena talks about in this. And if you know anything about Lake Vostok and Antarctica, the Vostok ice core samples that they took, they take out these these, these long cores of ice. And it, it, it almost like with sediment, you can examine certain things that were going on in certain time periods. And with ice, you can actually see the trapped uh, gases, the certain types of gases in there, things that give you uh, uh, some kind of an understanding of what the environment was, what the temperature was, and, and how how the, the molecular structure of the, the, of the water had changed. And, and it, it, the scientists know what they're talking about. Anyway... I read about this first, this, these studies, in one of Michael Savage's books years ago. And what they had found in with these Vostok ice core samples is that the far, whether you go, how, no matter how far you go back, any fluctuation in temperature where the temperature rises comes after, I mean, I mean comes before the rising in CO2. So just the correlation of greenhouse gases and, and the temperature going up and we need to cut down on carbon emissions instead of planting a few fucking trees, it's all bullshit, okay? Because, I mean, just the fact that there came the, the, the temperature fluctuation and then there was the change in CO2 afterwards, just, I mean, that in itself, so... It has to be what Dan Pena is bringing up there with all the ice cores when he was renewing his vows in 2011 in, in Antarctica. We can talk about that some other time, maybe when I have my buddy Max on or any other scientist friend of mine. But let's keep going because now he's going to really give you the the breakdown of what all of these these hucksters at the WEF won't tell you. In the cosmos of time, of the 13.8 billion years that we've been on this miserable planet... It's not a fart in the wind. And, as I t- and he's talking about the relative age of the planet. He's not talking about 13 billion years of human history. That's all a lot of people are nitpicking in the, in the, in the, the comments on this video uh, as a way to just, you know, dismiss everything else that he's saying. So he's in the middle of a rant. Sometimes you say things that are distorted. You just got to be open to it. I told Joe Rogan on his show, and he said in his infinite wisdom... And uh, Joe, if you hear this, I thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. He said, then in 25,000 years, it's most likely not going to be a problem. Now, my direct answer to your question, if that were really true, would you believe, and let's just for a moment say that it is true, that means that the best scenario vis-a-vis global warming is about 10 feet raising water. That's the best scenario over the next 40, 50 years. That's the best scenario. The worst scenario is about 100 feet. But let's just take the 10 feet. If the water on the planet is going to rise up 10 feet, that means the southern part of the United States is gone. England is gone. Most of Europe is gone. And I can go, uh, most of Central America is gone. Okay. If that's the case, let's just take Florida, for example, which is one of the fastest growing condominium, beachfront condominiums on the planet. In the prospectus, when you invest, there should be, in the footnotes, if global warming is for real, they won't put it that way, global warming happens and water rises 10 feet, 
This investment you made is fuck all. Not one single investment prospectus written since 2000, this century, has alluded to global warming. Not one motherfucker. If it were really true, the banks wouldn't invest. The banks wouldn't finance. Not one motherfucking condominium. So the people that have the money, and I'm, I'm jealous of the Vice President Gore, which Sally and I rode on a plane from South America with a few years ago. I am jealous he came up with a scam before I did. Because the financial institutions, the banks of this world know it's not gonna happen. Otherwise, you couldn't get a goddamn loan in London. You know those 30, 40 year mortgages? The world will be over by then. Is Barclays Bank going to give you a motherfucking loan? With the greatest respect, ma'am, it's the greatest fraud that's been perpetrated on mankind this century. And, and, and that was prior to COVID. <laughs> so you might want to update that one, Dan. Because the World Economic Forum between now uh, biological assault and and assault on our habitat and our, our, our national sovereignty and our humanity and our individual liberty by way of environmental calamity that they're projecting. Boy, what, what together? And remember, they, they've tried to convince, they tried to convince, I should say, combine those two themes several times over the last year alone. Remember they said global warming is going to melt the ice caps and release previously trapped in the ice viruses that have been gone for years that new pandemics can arise from the from the 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 melting of ice and the release the resurrection of viruses that have been trapped under the ice and laid dormant you get like a two-for-one deal right there two-for-one deal a new pandemic and global warming oh boy boy it's exciting it's like it's like i don't know it's, it's incredible actually has a better plot than all the new Jurassic Park films. Got to give him that. Oh, boy, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I hope that gave you something to think about for the rest of the weekend because I'm getting the hell out of here. And I will be back with you on Monday night, and we have a great, great week of shows to do in the next couple of, uh, in the next couple of weeks, but definitely next week, great ones. So uh, be well. Be well, be good to yourselves and others, and I will definitely talk to you in the um, over the weekend somehow. I'll drop you a line somehow. I just want to thank, I have a couple more Super Chats that just came in. Stowe Stoop said, Frank, wonderful Friday. Just wanted to wish, uh, wanted to wish happiest of, ho- uh, happiest of happy two days after her birthday to the, uh, the one and the only Nikki M. Happy birthday, Nikki. And what better way to wish that monetary contribution to two phenomenal independent media on behalf of her? Well, thank you so much. Yes, happy birthday, Nikki. Happy birthday, Abe. And now I invite you all to go and join us on quitefrankly.tv where 
the weekend roundup will begin and that is where we have friday and saturday programming that runs and we have so much good stuff a mix of great stuff sunday i always curate the sunday night programming that starts at 9 p.m so there'll be plenty to do yes cacao justin from yes cacao said frank the 13 moon calendar has been on my mind been going strong since 5 a.m i'm going to get a call in uh on the record but just not tonight fyi today's the 247th day of the moon calendar called blue cosmic hand let the imagination flow yes i can't wait to get that call because like i said he has lived that moon calendar and I want to know all about it. I want to know about the synchronicity and the um, and the synthesis that is supposed to be felt in in doing that. So we will see. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, on Theta, on D Live, on uh, on on YouTube, on Rumble. Get a last second like in on YouTube and Rumble if you can. That'll help us over the weekend. Thank you, everybody on Twitch and Foxhole on Quite Frankly TV. Rockfin. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'll. I have to get on the drums at some point. Maybe it'll be tonight. You never know with me. I never know with me. We'll see what happens from the time that I walk from here to there. If something just rattles me. Anyway, you guys, thank you for another great week. We'll talk soon. Good night. Thank you, Norbin Laden and Marjorie Wildcraft. Until Monday. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Stostube, Yes Cacao, Teabag. And thank you guys for tonight. Thank you for this entire week. Thank you to all my good friends on Foxhole who left gold pills tonight. I released the scratching. Thank you to my Rumble Ranters. Thank you. Thank you all so much. I will see you, catch you on the flip side.